Like I've gotten into so many moshes. I've gotten so many bleeding noses. I've like crashed into the gates. I've, I've crowd surfed like just everything. I Sarah Chamberlain, this is your mixtape. Why don't we call it My Heart Beats at the Rhythm of a Double Bass. Hey there, listener, and welcome to This Is Your Mixtape, a podcast where, every episode, we take a close look at someone's life as told through music. I'm your host, Michael Collins, a man with official merchandise. That's right, Megaphonic, the network I call home, now has a store. You can get a This Is Your Mixtape shirt, tank top, mug, sticker, decorative wall hanging, whatever. We've also launched a network Patreon. For a few dollars a month, you can help support the production of This Is Your Mixtape, and you'll get some special bonuses as well. Stick around after the show to hear a bit more. Today, we're chatting with Sarah Chamberlain. Sarah Chamberlain is a co-host of A Part of Our Scaritage, a sister podcast on the Megaphonic Network about Canadian horror movies, which is a great joy to her, since she spends most of her leisure time watching, playing, or reading scary stuff anyway. Sarah lives in Ontario and loves to write about anything that strikes her fancy. We had an animated discussion with a lot of laughter about seeking thrills, performance in high drama, and saxophones. I hope you have as much fun listening as we did talking. Enjoy! Hey, Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our chat. So for people who might not be familiar with who you are and what you do, you probably do a lot of things. But one thing you do is uh, co-host a podcast on the Megaphonic Network, which is also home to this show, about Canadian horror films. Yes, actually, I don't do a lot of stuff. That is literally the only presence of mine on the online world. So. <laughs> well, it's okay. The internet has not yet swallowed up all of life. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I was wondering, um, what is it about Canadian horror in particular, like, as opposed to just horror more generally? If you've, if you've listened to an episode, you've heard Adam and I go on and on about this, but we are both huge just horror in general fans. And um, I think the thing that, you know, there's a million and one people out there talking about horror, but Canadian horror information is like really hard to come by which I've noticed even more now making the podcast, because when I'm trying to get information on any of this stuff, it takes like hours and hours of research. So it's just something that I think we're both like so passionate about. And we just want to share with people who might have an interest, but don't want to go through all the time trying to find out tiny little things about these obscure B movies. They can just <laughs> kind of come to us and find out. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess that is the sort of angle about Canadian. It's like most of them are going to be obscure. A lot of them are going to be low budget or kind of quirky passion projects, you know? Yep, exactly. And it's like we both of us like totally adore that kind of thing. So mostly it's just a chance for us to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the first horror movie you saw when you were young? Um, I I honestly couldn't tell you the first one I saw like in like at home, but I definitely remember the first horror quote-unquote movie i saw in theaters and it was uh, jurassic park <laughs> <laughs> that was scary i was frightened by that as a child yeah i was so scared like i don't even know if i watched it i was just staring at the floor <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we segue into your first song because i i'm i'm very curious about how this relates to what i know of you um so why don't you tell the listeners what we have Okay, this episode you may as well just like post as like an April Fool's Day episode or something because <laughs> of my picks. But I went with um, Poor Unfortunate Souls by, well, performed by Pat Carroll and written by Alan Menken for The Little Mermaid. 
And I fortunately know a little magic. It's a talent that I always have possessed. And you lately, please don't laugh. I use it on behalf of the miserable, lonely, and depressed. Pathetic. Poor unfortunate souls in pain, in need. This one longing to be thinner, that one wants to get the girl. And do I help them? Yes, indeed. Those poor unfortunate souls. So uh, I'm, so, I'm so pleased you chose this. <laughs> so this is a great number from The Little Mermaid, Ursula the Sea Witch ensnaring Ariel in her plot. So I'm assuming that you saw this when you were a kid. Uh, many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell me the story? I was so happy when you were like, you had messaged me after I sent the list and said, I'm super excited about Poor Unfortunate Souls. <laughs> I am. <laughs> because I was so like, oh my gosh, she's going to read this and just be like, what is she doing? Like, have you had a Disney song on this podcast before? <laughs> I, I actually have. In fact, um, this is the second one from uh, The Little Mermaid that we've had. So. Oh, well, that's wonderful. That makes it like, I've listened to quite a few episodes, but not all of them. So that makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's just like growing up, uh, you know, kind of following a timeline of the first song being, you know, your younger years, that Disney was like my lifeblood growing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, looking back, there was uh, the whole golden age of Disney there. And a lot of the Alan Menken stuff, um, I think, is great. But this is one song in particular. The reason I picked this one is because I still think it's a great song. And like, I could sing it from beginning to end if I needed to. <laughs> <laughs> so what about it appeals to you? It's, it's the entire like Disney aesthetic in, in its entirety, I suppose. Why it appealed to me, like growing up, there's so many reasons why Disney was like such an important part of my life. And like the songs in it, I just love that, especially the song in particular, it's like burlesque and it's like a show tune all at the same time. And it really stands out in the movie. Um, the Little Mermaid was definitely, I think, one of the first Disney movies to have super memorable songs. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people say Beauty and the Beast, which has some good songs, but like for me as a kid, it was The Little Mermaid. Yeah. And I'm sort of imagining that this was probably uh, your like introduction to this genre of like the burlesque type. I, I love that when she goes, don't neglect the importance of body, body language. language. <laughs> body language. Uh, so like, Even as a little kid, I used to dance around to that part and like perform it. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a bit cabaret. It's a bit drag. I saw a drag queen do a performance of this at a DC gay bar on Halloween a couple of years ago, and it was very memorable. Oh, I can only imagine. Like, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'd love to see this in like live performance in any way. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can correct me because I have this vague idea that either they were considering like Ursula was modeled on Divine or something like that. Divine being the the famous drag queen. Yeah, and I think that's like 100% true. The one thing that I find very interesting is like I think Pat Carroll's performance is like it's just perfect. I can't imagine anyone, you know, being able to get that song across as well. Um and I have I have watched like some live performances online from like the Broadway show and they're really good but like I just the original obviously is like it holds such a special place. And from what I I know is like talking about its history there, she like to convince Pat Carroll to take that role, there were two people who wrote it, Alan Menken and if you give me a second I can look it up. Oh, uh, Howard Ashman. 
And they, I think it was Howard who like sent Pat Carroll a version of himself performing the song with all of its inflections to like convince her to take the role as Ursula. (laughs) 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 Which I think is just so great. And like, I wish I could hear that original version because it totally worked. She was like, yes, I will take this. (laughs) Maybe someday it will leak. Exactly. (laughs) So were you uh, drawn to the villains in these Disney films more particularly? Because villains often are the most compelling and interesting characters. Yeah. And you know what, like as an adult, that's definitely the case now. But when I was a kid, no, it was totally the princesses for me. So I don't know what it was about this, the version of this song, like that, or or the villain song in this movie that really got me. But now when I look back on a lot of like, do you know Disney quite well? Or is it just this or like moderately well, like I was the right age during the sort of second Renaissance, you know, the the beauty and the beast through the Lion King, I, I was the right age to be watching those. So I'm familiar with those. Right. Like, I feel like it's hard to grow up in, in that era and not have experienced them in some way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when I look back on it now, like, you know, in the Lion King, Scar's song is my favorite song in that movie. Um, but when I was a kid, it was like, I just can't wait to be king or Kakuna Matata, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So I want to know a little bit about what you were like as a kid. So you grew up in Canada. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the most I can <laughs> narrow it down. <laughs> Can I just say that like talking to you here is like I've I've really only ever I mean I have only ever heard your voice on the podcast on like mm-hmm. on this podcast so I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> that's that's really that's really charming and flattering and not true at all. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> well, please please don't be intimidated. Like I said, um you grew up in Ontario? <laughs> yeah, I literally grew up like pretty much right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. I live in uh, Mississauga now, but I grew up in Hamilton my whole life. I like, as for me as a little kid, like relating back to Disney, like I totally know that Disney has a lot of, there's a lot of like questionable content. Like a lot of people have different opinions on Disney and stuff and like the way it's, um, affects like children and and like my experience with the growing up like listening to this stuff and everything like for me like disney was always hugely about the music Mm. and it definitely shaped like my taste in music like throughout life like i'm sure we'll get into that but (laughs) (laughs) but as a kid like another thing that was so good about it to me i my parents like have fostered children my whole life. Okay. So when I was like, since I was growing up, my earliest memories, like we've always had um, foster children in the house Mm. and my parents were like a relief, uh, relief housing. So I don't know how much you know about fostering. Not very much at all. Okay. So relief housing is like kind of emergency cases. Okay. So like if um, a child has one parent and the parent has to go for surgery or something and they have no like family that can take the kid like we would take that child and it might be for a couple weeks or it might be for months like it's kind of like shorter term fostering okay so there was definitely like throughout my life 50 60 70 brothers and sisters wow yeah and i to relate to all of these people coming in and out of the house like and being like kind of a, a one constant there mm-hmm. i definitely oh, i i was like the shyest kid 
in the world. My mom always likes to remind me that like my teachers throughout grade, like one to five, didn't even call me by my name. They called me nervous Nelly. Oh, geez. Because <laughs> I was so like shy and nervous about everything, <laughs> which I'm sure was like traumatizing in some regard, the way the teachers would do. I was about to say, like, <laughs> like, you know, perhaps, perhaps went over coffee in the teacher's lounge, but like not to your face. Like, Exactly. No, they'd be like, hey, Nervous Nelly, come over here. Uh, oh, cripes. This will calm her down. Exactly. <laughs> this will make her like 10 times more paranoid. Yeah. Cripes. Uh, but yeah, like I, to, to help, like to relate to all of these people that, you know, I'd meet on a mm-hmm. weekly basis. It was through, as I relate to a lot of the people in my life now, it was through media. It was through like, you know, fandoms and stuff like that. Yeah. So especially as a little kid, like I cannot even tell you like the wonderful memories I have as a kid with all these different people who would come in and like my little sister now who is adopted, she um, started at our house as a foster child. Her and I like 100% bonded over Disney. We would put the movies in and just reenact like i don't know if you ever did stuff like this we would just reenact them from beginning to end (laughs) we would watch the movie and like just act it out as we were watching it yeah no that's that's really fantastic because that is one of the things that movies and music and so forth is, is good for if you're trying to make friends with someone new and you run out of things to talk about. <laughs> there you go. Like, exactly. And when you're a kid, like there's not much to talk about in the first place. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, there's so many age groups too. Like, you know, I'm not just trying to bond with kids my age. I'm trying to bond with younger kids, with older kids, with teenagers. And I find that like movies and again, that era of like the golden age of Disney and stuff and being such a big fan of it, it was like, it was something that everyone could kind of touch on. Like even my parents were into Disney, so they could get involved, like all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, other than that, you know, I was watching like, like sneak watching horror movies at midnight. Like I couldn't bring most of them into doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just imagining like, uh, like a foster child who's, you know, in a, in sort of an emotionally rough place. And it's like, Oh, let's, let's get you to watch a horror movie. <laughs> Which Maybe this shows my, my, the fact that I'm not sort of part of the horror culture and that I know that that would actually be like comforting and useful for some people. Like, yeah. And I like, for me, definitely, but it's like, you can't trust that other people are like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but that's so interesting. Um, that must've been a very unusual, like experience, uh, in terms of upbringing. Like, do you feel it gave you certain skills and tools in terms of needing to sort of create a quick bond with someone you're meeting for the first time or something like that, or a thousand percent. Like I, and that's exactly like, I think you just hit the nail on the head where like it to most people, the concept of fostering in general is an unusual experience, Hmm. but that is my life. Like that's my earliest memory. So I find that a lot of stuff that shocks or even people get weird about it Mm -hmm. it doesn't even like phase me because like we definitely had a lot of kids with like behavioral issues or uh, mental disabilities or just even physical disabilities like anything that you could have and it's like growing up around um 
constant change and everything like that. It's just like, it's just my norm. So you must have been a very broad minded, tolerant kid, like <laughs> and, just from that experience. And super nervous. <laughs> and super nervous. <laughs> oh, God. So, um, was it a musical household? Like, uh, were you like in like music lessons of any kind or? Were there instruments played around the house, parents into music? Um, yes, definitely. Like into music, kind of. Like my dad is a huge like music guy, but he's all golden oldies, like Buddy Holly, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom isn't exactly like she always, you know, she sang lullabies. She always kind of hummed around the house, but she isn't like really a musical person. Like I, mm. you know, so it wasn't like this huge thing, but I've always definitely like relied on it as a thing. And I don't think I'm musical at all, but I did take piano lessons for many years when I was a kid and did a few like piano concerts and stuff. But that's like, I've tried to touch pianos since and it's really not good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that happens. I was pretty advanced in piano when I was a kid and a teenager, but like give it 15 years where you play it a couple of times a year and it's, oh, those skills disappear. (laughs) I know. And I want to try again so bad, but it's so like intimidating when you you don't know it right away. You're like, I should know this. (laughs) (laughs) My fingers used to be able to do this. Why can't they still? Exactly. Mm -hmm. But I think what it definitely did, um, maybe not so much like a musical maybe it didn't really affect me musically, but what it did affect me or the way it did affect me would be, um, performance. Like I'm not, I've never like performed professionally or anything, but it definitely like pushed me towards drama and pushed me towards like, but uh, just any kind of like just performing casually, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to I want to ask if you were in like drama club and stuff like that, but I feel like we should segue to your next song because it's very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do we have next? Um, the next song is from a J-pop slash J-rock, depends on what your uh, tolerance is, <laughs> group <laughs> called Malice Miser, and the song is Gardenia. can't wait to pick out a clip for this <laughs> no don't, don't apologize i wasn't sarcastic <laughs> so this was entirely new to me and i will admit that outside of the realm of video game music i don't know a lot of music that comes from japan but this in the video they kind of look it kind of looks like a final fantasy like <laughs> they look like final fantasy characters 100 <laughs> percent. and it sounds like final fantasy boss music so <laughs> So why don't you tell me how this came into your life? I really tried to to like put these into eras, I guess. Mm-hmm. And this was definitely like a song that I picked to kind of represent the time when I started discovering music for myself. Mm. So stuff that wasn't um, just happened across or shown to me by like an older sibling or my parents and uh, wasn't just on the radio. So it was like, I finally started, you know, kind of seeking out, I I guess it would start with like watching anime and watching stuff from like 
other countries, which at that time was, you know, late grade school, I guess, was this mm. new exciting thing that I didn't really know about. And back then, like I had to go to this hobby store that was like this little rinky dink hobby store down the street from me and rent the DVDs of these shows and stuff. Um, that was like my only access to them. There was no like downloading them or whatever. This song like really represents that because I was obsessed with this band and its future lead singer, not the lead singer for this song, but its future lead singer. Is he, was he a member of the band unpromoted or is he coming in fresh? No, he came in after the lead singer unfortunately passed away. The oh, one no. from this one. Yeah. Um, okay. It was kind of like an untimely death. I believe he died from a brain aneurysm. So. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So then the new lead singer came in and that's how I discovered this band. And then I kind of went back to their older stuff and enjoyed most of their older stuff a bit more. So it's like anime stuff, right? Like you're, you're, you're renting these DVDs and stuff. Yeah. Am I correct? Okay. All right, it's when cool. I started getting freaky with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to use the A word incorrectly, <laughs> but yeah, you're getting like anime stuff and other things like that. And you're renting the DVDs. Was this like soundtrack to one of these shows or was it just that you were getting more into the culture more generally? You're like, like, oh, well, I like these I like these movies and I like these TV shows and what have you. Maybe I should expand and explore the culture more generally. Or was there a, was there a concrete link? Um, that was actually it. So it was like, I think like getting into music from, say, like Japan. And that was like you mentioned uh, through video games, um, mm. because I was definitely playing like Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger and all that stuff. I had oh, <laughs> Chrono Trigger is my favorite video game. Go on. Oh. Awesome. Yeah. I was so into that game. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So like playing that type of stuff, I think was like the first entry because video games seem to be more accessible at least. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then like, it was going to this hobby shop to look at like magic, the gathering cards and stuff <laughs> which, mm-hmm. and, and all that. And then like, they literally had like a basement that they kept all the anime in and then like wandering into that basement and being like, what's all this? So it was very much like... <laughs> How many treasures can one cavern hold? Exactly. <laughs> I think I sang that song when I went down. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it definitely was this like almost um, textbook version of discovery of like finding these things and just kind of like happening upon them. Hmm. And also I started going to conventions. Okay. And that's like where you can get exposed a lot to like, who's the, who's this poster of? Oh, it's this artist. Okay. Let me look into them and that. I'm imagining you in like, I don't know, like grade seven, grade eight, something like that. Um, doing all these things. Were you like the weird kid in your class who was into this or were there like others who you could share this with or. <laughs> you know what? Like I, I think I got pretty lucky in grade school because it was like, we were all kind of like nerds. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Which is really great because then when I went to high school, um, I, I would never like consider myself an outcast, but it was definitely like, I realized like, oh, not everyone is super nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> it is the exception and not the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, and I still had like, I met a lot of friends in high school and stuff who like shared the same interests and everything. So it was great, but it was just like, I definitely, I, I don't think like I ever felt like awkward or weird because of it. It was just kind mm-hmm. of like the thing I liked, you know? <laughs> Um, even though I did get real freaky with it, like I started copying, like I started copying my hairstyle off of like singers I liked. And like, by the time I was 14, my head was just like a big 
pink mohawk. Like <laughs> I just went through the stages. Like I think I was 14. I dyed my hair bright pink for the first time and I've never seen my natural hair color since. <laughs> 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 and it was totally inspired by like all of this stuff, like J-Rock and anime <laughs> and video games. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about this song in particular and the video because, I mean, very visually striking um, and your fashion style, like perhaps being influenced by that. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like I think you can see. <laughs> so like based on this and other song choices that you've given me, I was like, was Sarah a goth? And I'm like, <laughs> perhaps that's too simple of a question. <laughs> Because I, I guess maybe it was just the way I viewed the world in a different way. But it's like, I know so many people talk about like their goth stage and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely like, I guess had that, like there was definitely a time when I, you know, did have straight blue hair and like, I put like eyeshadow on and stuff. And like, I was like, thought I was super edgy and everything, <laughs> but I was still always kind of just like happy. Yeah. <laughs> Like I never went through the moody part, just like the the style part. Because you know yeah. I, mean? well, I mean, the style actually is kind of fun, right? Like, it is, yeah. Like it's colors and it's like unusual shapes and unusual styles, you know? Yeah, and it's just like it, it definitely just you you feel like you're dressing up, and I think yeah. that goes back to like my love of performance. Like it just feels like you're dressing up. Yeah, and I mean, there's yeah. there's something. I mean this in a positive way, but there's something kind of silly about music like this. Like it's really like over the top and like really complicated and, and it (laughs) makes you feel like energized. It doesn't, I don't know. No. And you know what? That's exactly it. And like, I'm so glad you like kind of get it there because I have a very hard time taking things seriously. <laughs> it's just something that I don't know if it's a defense mechanism. I Maybe it's because, again, like when I was a kid, I was so nervous that it's like I had to start kind of making light of situations like to kind of get me through stuff. Mm-hmm. But to me, like the I love super intense, dramatic stuff because I think it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and, and when a a band or something takes itself more seriously i find that like even funner (laughs) does that make sense (laughs) it does no it absolutely does yeah um like it makes it makes me think of the horror movies again which again is something that whatever gene you need i don't particularly have it but a lot of my friends do and from what they've said about what they enjoy from it it's it's that they are kind of fun (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And the more over the top they are, the better. Like, exactly. And like, and that's exactly how I feel about music. And it's like, I, I'm, sh- I understand that. I think music is one of the most precious things to people. Like people can have different opinions on movies and it's not a big deal or TV or whatever. But when it comes to music, like I find people take it very like viscerally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's this teenage sort of thing where for a lot of people, your music tastes are very much tied into whatever your identity is or the identity you want to express. And I, I guess that kind of carries over a little bit into, I always feel a little bit embarrassed because I really like dubstep and I feel like I'm not the kind of person who's <laughs> supposed to like dubstep. I should be smarter than that. <laughs> like, I like the way it makes me feel. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. And like, I was planning to get into that later because I'm like, that's, that's, that's where I'm at now where I'm like, 
I can't, I can no longer have limits. Like if I like something, I'm, I can't, there's nothing in me that can make me like, not like it. I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, I like it at the end. Like uh, who cares? Right. Yeah. Who does it hurt you liking a song? <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I was curious because you mentioned this a couple of times that you were sort of getting into like performing and, and so forth. Were you like in, like, were you drama kid? Were you in the drama club acting things like that? The last few years of elementary school and into high school is when I was definitely like signing up for drama classes, signing up for every play that the school did. Um, I was super big into public speaking. So I actually won quite a few public speaking awards in school. Oh, awesome. And it's like, this is something that's hard to explain. I think only someone who like kind of feels this way could get it. But before my public speaking um, competitions, I would go to the washroom and be sick. not intentionally. It wasn't like a ritual. I don't know. It mm-hmm. was just like, I was so upset and nervous. I would get sick. And then I, they would, they'd call my name and I'd walk up on stage. And then it was like something in my brain would click and I would put on a performance and then I'd win. Like it was, <laughs> so it's like, I don't know how to explain what that is, but it's just like, I feel like I almost kind of forced myself to be comfortable mm-hmm. with that stuff. And I really think that like this, these type, this type of music and um, like this song, Gardenia, it's like, I know we haven't really talked about it, but the people, the band itself, like you've seen the video, it's Mm -hmm. very dramatic and just, it's like the, the music video is a play and their costumes are so elaborate. And like, I don't, I found it fascinating that I don't know if you like really paid attention to the members or anything like that, but, um, all of them are men. Mm. And one of them, uh, the band member's name is Mana, M-A-N-A. And he like, he looks like a beautiful Lolita princess. And he like, like when I, like for the longest time, I thought it was a female in the band. And then like, when I learned it was a guy just like in drag and like, he just, really really got into this character and he has his own clothing line of all lolita dresses and everything and um it was that type of thing where i'm like i think i was super inspired by like all of these bands who could really just perform mm-hmm. and really Com- just commit really yeah. commit and like just really put on like and like even in their real life like during interviews they would be you know they would be in character and stuff and I think that's kind of like inspiring for like a shy kid to be like, yeah, like, you know, I can be in character too. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's, that's very perceptive. I think that's correct. Like, it's so interesting what you're describing that you would, well, that sounds cool to say. It was interesting how you describe being sick, <laughs> but it is interesting. I can um, go into more detail if you want. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just thinking about like the theory that immediately comes to my mind is that there's something kind of thrilling in overcoming something that's frightening successfully and and then like you're like oh my god this was i I feel terrible i feel terrible i gotta do it i gotta do it i do it and it's like oh my god that went well and then like you know (laughs) subsequent times to get that same thrill you still have to be like a little bit freaked out beforehand if you get bored with it then the whole thing kind of falls apart that's a perfect description yeah that sounds totally legit (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and then like thinking about i want to talk about 
Garden- Gardenia, right? Yeah. Okay, I've been calling it Gardenia <laughs> like the flower. <laughs> I mean, it might be, but when they say it, I mean, it might just be their accent, but they're like, Gardenia. And the fact that they are capital P performing all the time yes. in their public persona that they're inhabiting. And yeah, this idea that if you're a shy kid and you've been you've been given this identity nervous Nelly, I can't believe <laughs> what the <laughs> hell were those teachers thinking? Of course you'd want to sort of step outside of that into other persona. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, you know what? That's so true. And and I think like what did help is the fact that I um I have always been kind of a thrill seeker. Like even as a mm-hmm. little kid, you know, the stuff that you could call thrill seeking from a child, which is like, you know, roller coasters and horror movies and going off the high diving board. Like none of that ever scared me, Hmm. but it was, you're right. Like you have to kind of have that part of you to want to break out of the stuff that does make you shy or nervous. But the lead singer, I like, he's not actually the one now they switched lead singers a few times, but the one who came after who like got me into the band, his name is Gact. Um, he is, very very famous (laughs) like this guy is like if you're like into the j-pop j-rock culture even in the slightest it's it's likely he was your entrance or you know of him yeah and like he was in like a lot of japanese movies too like that's i i paid exorbitant prices for them when i was a teenager (laughs) getting them like shipped over and uh he's like this crazy guy who like he literally i don't know if he still does this but like at that time he his whole persona like outside of the band was that he believed he was like like he said he was immortal and like he acted like an immortal vampire kind of like lestat from queen of the damned if you know that absolutely (laughs) so it's like he totally is just like this quirky character and he's definitely like a well-known j-rock artist so if we're ready to move on um what's the next song you have for us uh, the next song I have is uh, called Walk With Me in Hell by the band Lamb of God. Enjoyed this. You did? <laughs> well, but here's the thing. So, like, uh, one of my favorite bands, and I feel kind of um, <laughs> silly. <laughs> silly. I feel kind of silly saying this is Muse. I really love Muse. Oh, yeah. And they're great. <laughs> they're fantastic. I saw them in concert a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still recovering. Oh, amazing. Um, <laughs> like, obviously, these uh, Lamb of God, they, they go heavier and harder than Muse does, but it's like a similar kind of thrill. Obviously, the vocals are very different, and that's always been my sort of stumbling point with this genre. Is like I'm sort of I'm so into it. These crazy guitars and these pummeling drums, right. and, and I'm like, oh, I want an operatic voice, not a growl voice. But I mean, that's just me. This podcast is not about me. I want to hear about you. So, thinking about the Malice Miser song that we had before and this one, I can see a pretty clear through line in terms of the development of your taste. Um, <laughs> Am I correct in that, I guess? I think it, yeah, I think like for, for my taste in music, it's definitely point A leads to point B leads to point C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, 
I think like another thing that you may have noticed uh, that kind of links all of these songs is that they all tend to be a little uh, grandiose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's something that I am so drawn to. And that goes back to, again, like really loving uh, performance. And when people don't take themselves too seriously, even if it seems like they are, I seem to find that with a lot of metal. So Lamb of God is my like entry metal band. Yes. There was a lot of stuff before them, like Rob Zombie and, you know, Disturbed, like if you know these bands. Mm hmm. I was I was half expecting a Rob Zombie song on here. <laughs> you know what? I wanted to subvert your expectations a little. <laughs> hey, I have a couple of Rob Zombie songs on my phone right now. So, <laughs> like, I still totally love the guy, and like, now that he's one of my favorite directors, <laughs> and also him and his wife are both vegan, which is super important to me. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's something I hoped would come up. There's there's a bunch of things. Uh, I figure this song is probably the best place to introduce like questions about like your various values and so forth because well i guess because it's like playing around with like ideas of sacrilege and like religion and whatnot but i want to hear first before that how you actually discovered it how you got into it this was introduced to me definitely by just like if i can remember correctly it it was just like friends like just like oh yeah here's a song and i think it kind of came through the grapevine and um my boyfriend felipe at the time um well, no, not at the time. He's still my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Felipe. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> you're, you're then and current boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. Continue. <laughs> it's been uh, 12 years. So um, at the time, it was like year one. <laughs> Right, so he was he was new at the time. Yeah. In, in that sort of like when you're starting to date someone, you do that thing where you swap music. Back in the day, you'd make them mix CDs. I don't know how the kids do it now. Well, exactly. Me Spotify neither. links to each other, like something like that. <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly it. Like it was kind of just like I but the funny thing is, I actually remember like the exact moment I heard this song for the first time. Okay. I don't think I can say that for any of the other songs. I was sitting there at like 11 p.m. playing Soul Calibur. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And he showed me this song just kind of off-handedly, like, okay, oh, hey, listen to this like band I've just heard. And it clicked with me so fast. I downloaded the song, put it on repeat, and played Soul Calibur, listening to that song on repeat for maybe like five hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> amazing it was such an experience that i'm just like i i just remember it like i don't know it was over a decade ago (laughs) i I should hope you would remember that probably burned some pretty deep grooves into your brain (laughs) exactly (laughs) and i like you know unlocked a bunch of characters so that was great (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean this this is a sort of music that can motivate you to keep going (laughs) (laughs) exactly but yeah, it's like not many songs that I can listen to um, and on the first day learn all the lyrics and also a metal song, which is just growling. So like somehow mm-hmm. gather all the lyrics through the growling. <laughs> I feel negligent in my duties as host. Ordinarily, when I'm listening to these songs, I bring up the lyrics and I look, uh, sort of read along with them. I actually didn't do that this time. So I don't know what the song is about because I can't really make up the words. So what is the song about? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> the clear as day. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, in like the thrash metal genre, Randy has a very kind of like 
recognizable voice. Like I, I think you can understand him a lot better than say, if you're listening to like cannibal corpse or something, um, but you have to also be like, I guess you have to listen to a lot of growl vocals. So. Sure. You have to, you have to uh, uh, train your ear. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this song is like many of their other songs. It is, it's just uh, ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of just like um, talking about, uh, I, I, I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> it's like it's going for a walk in hell, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is the sort of thing where like, you know, good Christian parents, particularly in the 80s, would have like the satanic panic around like music like this, which totally. I understand this music came out in the 2000s. So like sending it back in time, it would make yeah. like Reaganite parents have like a shit fit. <laughs> exactly. Like this is like, you know, <laughs> this song, um, it, again, just like this band, like I kind of have this aversion to um, finding a lot of joy in things that are fun. I do realize that I do have a bit of aversion to um, kind of overly sentimental stuff which isn't fair. And a lot of people really like really get something out of um, sentimentality and music and stuff. But it's like, I really prefer to swing the opposite way and just kind of just be like kind of a ride. And I find that with a lot of metal, at least the stuff that I like, it's stuff that is uh, like, they're having just as much fun with the lyrics. It's not stuff about like lost loves and it's not stuff about, you know, like two things that are too serious in life. Like it's kind of an escape from that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just like singing about demons and singing about the apocalypse and stuff like that. And I'm like, I find that really just so um, comforting. (laughs) Demons (laughs) in the apocalypse, comforting. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I, 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 You're not the first person I've heard to say something like that. In fact, your co-host, Adam Clark, um, the title of the episode he did with me um, several months ago is Horror is a Comfort to Me. And he makes a great argument about that. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm kind of curious to hear your version of like why you think this is comforting. Because, I mean, obviously it is. That was not meant to be challenging on that. Clearly, if you say it's a comfort, it's a comfort. But why is that, do you think? Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's because like stuff that is too serious, stuff that is about real life issues. um, I don't find the comfort in kind of dwelling on that stuff. Some people, and, and I totally get this, like obviously is it's comforting to find something that you can relate to on an emotional level and kind of find solace in it, um, getting you or understanding you. Yeah. Like my experiences are in this song perfectly as opposed to, I've never gone for a walk in hell. I don't know if you have. (laughs) Exactly. And that's it where it's just like, it comes down to, again, just kind of looking for the stuff that like, it keeps me kind of, kind of, I guess, away from that stuff. Not that I'm like, you know, on the verge of having a nervous breakdown or anything, (laughs) but it's like, like, you know, I just, I just seem to like have more fun when I'm having fun. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And this type of stuff, like, I'm sure it wouldn't be fun to a lot of people, but I, I like like the, um, the whole thing they're putting into it, like the high energy, it's so energetic and you can dance to it and jump around and mosh in your living room. And like, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's not my particular flavor of thrill, but I do like things that are kind of adjacent to it. And it always reminds me of being a kid and we had all these vinyl records, like classical music and stuff, and my parents did. And putting on the Edvard Grieg one within the Hall of the Mountain King 
and like waiting for it to freak out. Like it builds up and builds up. And like, that's a metal song from the 19th century. Absolutely. And like, just sort of standing in the middle of the living room, being like 11 years old and being like, like feeling like the most powerful, like, like demon tyrant in the world. Like it's such a good feeling. See, that's exactly it. And like, One thing about uh, metal is that it's very often compared to classical music because it is people playing their own instruments and it is like this big, it's all instruments working together to like make this thing. And um, there's a lot of virtuosity and complexity in it as well. Exactly. Like, you know, there's a lot of talent in some of these bands and it's all these different talents coming together to form this one song. And yeah, like, I think that just on a musical level, outside of even just the message and everything, like, this is something that is so um, personal to like your, I don't know, your even anatomy, I guess, that it would be hard to explain to someone who doesn't like it. But like, I love the feeling of like a double bass. Mm-hmm. Like it actually, it's like, I, I say my heart beats at the rhythm of a double bass because when I'm listening to metal and it's just really hammering on that bass and it's just like the low growls, it really just like physically is pleasing. Like, you know, does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. This is something that actually, I don't know if it's ever come up in an episode before, but I'm very interested in it. And it's something that I've thought about before is the physical effect that music has like there are certainly like some songs you like, it makes your heart get faster, but like, that's kind of even not it. It just makes you feel physically a certain way when you hear it. Exactly. And that's like, yeah, that's something that I, maybe some people don't get, but is so important to me with music. Yeah. So it all kind of relates. And like, you do get this kind of like, it it, it affects you on all levels, like mentally and physically and emotionally. Like it's just great all around. I'm not anything special. Like I'm like five, six, like, you know, medium in, in all capacities. Like I'm not like a, like a tough person. I want to be, you know, I love going to the gym and punching, punching the bag, but (laughs) the old bag, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so I don't want to cut off what you're saying, but I totally think that there are two types of people at the gym. One is like, they're listening to like podcasts and they're very calm. And then it's like, no, you get your aggression up and you like spit it all out exactly. into whatever you're doing. Like you pummel that punching bag, you lift the fuck out of those weights. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's totally me. Like I'm totally the person yeah. who is like doing the, like the crazy, what do you call them? Those guys in the gym who scream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm that, but like inside mentally. <laughs> yes, Exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's like, so I'm not like, probably not someone you would expect when you look at me to be in the middle of a circle pit at a metal concert, but I'm there. Fantastic. (laughs) Like I've gotten into so many moshes. I've gotten so many bleeding noses. I've like crashed into the gates. I've, I've crowd surfed, like just everything I can. And it's like, you're right. It's like something takes over you. You're just kind of like, you're so into the music. You have to react physically to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) It's kind of, it's kind of awesome and crazy and weird. And I don't know. So I want to, I want to go back to something that you had said a little while ago. It was an offhand remark about Rob Zombie and his wife being um, vegan. And how that was really important to you. Basically, I want to hear about about that. Um, so you're a vegan and it's something that's important to you. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and just like with, um, I think there's a lot of uh, 
misconception about um, very specifically like the metal genre. Um, even just with this band, like Lamb of God, Walk With Me in Hell, it's not a hidden, you know, it's not, they're not hiding the fact that they're kind of like. <laughs> the, the album cover has like a chalice and communion wafers. Exactly. <laughs> and like one of the music videos from, I believe this album um, has is just them like crashing a, a prayer in church and like singing one of their songs. Amazing. <laughs> but I really like. And and I actually grew up uh, Catholic. Like I went to church every Sunday. Okay. Um, but there there is no malice in me whatsoever for religion. But it's also not something that I am uh, interested in whatsoever. So it's like I kind of went through the emotions when I was growing up, and then just very slowly, there was no abrupt uh, m- moment or something in my life. Um, even like you know, coming to terms with. Any, all the things that you come to terms with in your teenager, like sexuality, all that stuff, it didn't change my opinion. It Religion just fizzled out for me. Yeah. And it was never a big thing. And that's probably part due to my parents who like, my mom still has Jesus pictures up in the house, but like, I don't think she's gone to church in 20 years. <laughs> but every time I go in, I'm like, oh yeah, there's like the sexy Jesus picture on the wall. <laughs> well, I was raised Catholic as well. And they really go in for like the like... Oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna offend some people. I almost said the BDSM Jesus, but like <laughs> you know, know what I mean. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, there was in my in my high school above the cafeteria, there was this like 20 foot high picture of just Jesus's face, and he had this long flowing brown hair and this really sultry look, and like all of the girls always joked about that it was just sexy Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Though I think the misconception with like metal, very specifically, and anything within the genre like new metal, like Marilyn Manson, and like all that light stuff you hear on the radio, and also like really, really heavy dark metal, and I guess back in the day it was just rock had this issue. There's there's the misconception one that it's like super negative and evil and stuff, which is like I don't think a lot of people get the irony in it, where it's mostly them just joking or performing. Like a lot of these bands are really cool, relaxed people who don't actually like they're they're just kind of like this is what they're interested in but also that like you have to be going through some kind of like a phase or dealing with something negative to be into this kind of music Mm -hmm. um that's something that i've always just been so like kind of salty about (laughs) (laughs) for lack of a better word it's so not a phase to me like when i got into metal which was um slightly before lamb of god and then lamb of god was my intro into like you know kind of heavier metal i was at my most confident so like that was like college like breaking into college and it wasn't like a high school phase it wasn't when i was blah 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 it was like i was finally feeling confident about who i was and and like where i wanted to go and the things i liked and not being afraid to kind of show them or anything like that and that's when I came into the genre that felt the exact same to me. It was just the super fun, like, let's just, let's just go at it. Like, who cares if people are clutching their pearls over it and stuff? It doesn't really feel like a rebellion thing. It just feels like a, a way to uh, have fun. I mean, it's interesting because you, you, you said there's this misconceptions about metal. And I was like, ooh, what are the misconceptions? Because my mind immediately went to sort of like, oh, that they're all going to be like, really like, toxic masculinity like violent and like yeah it's not the perception i have but i feel like people do 
Right. And I definitely think like those, if anything, are some valid concerns. But Mm -hmm. to be honest, I find that toxic masculinity kind of is everywhere in this world. So it's like, sure, I'm almost certain I could listen to hip hop or uh, pop music or any other kind of music and be like, wow, indie boys. (laughs) Exactly. And be like, wow, this has some toxic masculinity. So it's like, I I don't think a genre should be defined by something like that. No. Um, And that's probably why, like, I do tend to focus more on like when you're singing about the apocalypse, like you're not singing about a girl or a guy or whatever the concern might be. It's like, you're just singing about the apocalypse. We can all relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. All of us who came of age around the turn of the millennium, that's died into us. Everyone who's ever seen Terminator can totally relate to this. (laughs) And yeah, like that's actually, uh, you had mentioned Rob Zombie and his wife being vegans. Yeah. <laughs> and I totally went off the <laughs> I, I was I was like, should I ask again? No, just no, so feel that free. when I'm when I'm editing, like it's not like, oh, she just didn't answer the question. I was like, oh, maybe she doesn't want to. No, I, I totally like, do. <laughs> okay. All right. So yeah, I, I want to hear about Rob Zombie and his wife being vegan and, and veganism and things like that. Rob Zombie and his wife being vegan is super important to me, not only because I love both of them. Um, I love Rob Zombie as a director and his wife as an actress. And I've always loved his music, like all the way back to white zombie days. It's something that like his music can be really brutal because this, like he writes like horror movies in a song. The lyrics are so evil and like, and, and mean. And it's like, it's like you're watching a horror movie he can, and, and his movies are like that too. I, I really like the idea that people can know that you can be that dark creatively and it is not you in real life at all. Mm-hmm. And like, it was super important to him when he was making his movies to like use um, fake meat and fake fur and all this stuff. And it's like, people wouldn't think that because they're like, oh, he's just brutal. And his movies are so R rated. And, but it's like in real life, like it, what you like in fantasy does not have to relate to your real life whatsoever. You hear stories about how various like horror writers and so forth are actually very normal, nice people, as if that's a surprise. Yeah. And the theory that I've heard and I tend to agree with is that it's just normal to have like dark and violent impulses. And if you can channel those into a harmless direction, then you're sort of left with the nice stuff, right? Like Exactly. And like, I also think that like a huge misconception for horror, because when I uh, was taking a writing course a little while back, my teacher was so adverse to horror. Like she just said it right on the first day. She was like, feel free to write in any genre you want, but just so you know, I hate horror. (laughs) And I'm like, well, like Flip's notebook. (laughs) Now what? (laughs) You could take it upon yourself to try and change your mind, but that's quite the undertaking. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I didn't, uh, you know, change my course of action. Um, I don't just write horror, but it's like, uh, my stuff always, always is like, is dark in some capacity. Even if I'm writing like a rom-com, it's going to be dark in some way. Mm Mm-hmm. We had a conversation about it many classes in. It finally came up again. She was like, I was looking a little into like why people might um, like horror because like I totally don't get it. And, you know, she said a couple things like maybe it's a way to like, you know, kind of release your your dark ideas and stuff, which is definitely a legitimate reason. But I for me personally, like when I really sit down and try to think about it, it's it's kind of just a thrill. It's, it goes right back to that where it's like, 
it's just like riding a roller coaster. Like, why do normal people ride roller coasters? <laughs> because it's scary, but you know it's safe. Yeah. And I find that like, and and that's the thing is like in my day to day life, like I try to be as altruistic as possible, and like veganism is a huge thing for me because the thought of even like a little mouse getting hurt is viscerally upsetting to me. <laughs> but like it, when I'm watching a movie and stuff, like I I understand what fantasy is versus reality, and I think some people have a hard time distinguishing the two. What's the next song that we have? The next song is uh, Bauhaus, Bella Lugosi's Dead. Bella Lugosi's dead. The bats have left the bell tower. The victims have been bled. That velvet lies the black box. Bella Lugosi's dead. And you made sure that I got the proper like nine and a half minute album version. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't apologize. I appreciate when people are clear about what they want me to listen to. So when I asked earlier if you had been a goth, the answer was kind of like, well, you know, not really. Like you liked it. You wanted to be kind of. <laughs> but like this is like one of the goth songs. <laughs> So did you know this song like beforehand? (laughs) (laughs) My primary association with it is from an Akewood comic. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. (laughs) I don't I have seen a comic like that references this song. That might be it. I don't know. (laughs) It's a cat wearing like a vampire cape and like a black leather thong with a little plastic skull on the front. And he pushes a button on it as he's dancing around. And the skull says, Bella Lugosi's dead. (laughs) Okay. I have not seen that. (laughs) It makes sense in the context of the story that's being told, but that's far too much to explain right now. (laughs) So, so this is like, you know, this is a classic. I mean, in addition to that, I knew that this was sort of like an important song in the genre. But other than Susie and the Banshees, I actually haven't really explored this like realm very much. So uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what's going on here? Well, first, I need to ask, did you like the song? (laughs) I liked it. Okay. I felt to me like it. I kept waiting for it to really get going and it never quite did, which was very unusual. It actually, like, it picks up a little bit in the middle and then it tapers off entirely. It definitely yeah. isn't, like, the kind of layout you expect for a song. <laughs> no, it has a very strange architecture, 100%. Yeah. Um, would it shock you if I said that this, that if someone, like, put a gun to my head and told me to answer in three seconds what my favorite song is, I'd probably say this song. <laughs> it doesn't, well, it doesn't <laughs> shock me, but it does make me interested like that's quite that's quite the thing so so why is it your favorite song or or what's your history here or or tell me more i find that when we get to this point in my life uh you know post-college i definitely just started kind of delving into more music like i'd say my college years were definitely filled with like mostly metal and going to metal concerts constantly and like discovering new bands in that genre but then like there was a while ago when i suddenly let myself start start discovering like stuff from the 60s and 70s and 80s and that stuff is like where i really like to be like there's so many songs from those from those decades that i just absolutely love and this is, I think, just like the penultimate version of, of what I kind of go for. It's so moody and so 
dramatically gothic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's singing about, you know, like a horror icon. It's like you can't listen to it and not kind of see the drama behind it. And I think that's super fun. <laughs> On top of that, I think it's it's just a really well-written song. Like, I really like how all the changes and like, I'm not musically literate, so I don't know what terms you would use, but it's like, it definitely doesn't follow like a beat you would expect. Mm-hmm. It, it really starts very slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't mean slow tempo. I just mean it takes a long time to build. <laughs> yeah, it's got a huge build up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you left college you started delving back into like the 60s, 70s, 80s. Do you have any idea what was the impulse behind that? Um, What was sort of the impetus to make you start looking backwards? You know, I wish I could. Like, I think think it's just kind of like starting to hear stuff from that genre. Like, I'm a huge fan of Rush, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I wasn't until this time in my life. Like when I was younger, I, I don't even think I ever heard a song from them and that kind of stuff. And then like, I started to discover stuff like Dio and uh, Black Sabbath, like, you know, and that kind of stuff is so um, fun and over the top. And like, do you know Rainbow in the Dark from Dio? Uh, I know a song called Rainbow in the Dark by Das Racist. <laughs> Which is a rap group, so <laughs> maybe it's a remake. I don't know. <laughs> but no, I don't. I don't know Rainbow in the Dark by Dio. Oh, well, you should listen to it. It's very good. <laughs> I should have put that on the list and forced you. <laughs> there, there's only there's only five songs. It's very limited real estate. Oh, and for someone who's so indecisive, like I can't even tell you. Like I was losing sleep over this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but it was just like it's just good stuff. And then I started to discover like Bowie and Donovan and Peter Gabriel and all that stuff is just like, I just started to find this stuff that I didn't hear growing up. And to me, like it was super new. Hmm. So according to Wikipedia, Bella Lugosi's dad is often considered the first Gothic rock record. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like at the comic I saw is this actual little animated comic. And this was like mm-hmm. long after I knew the song. Um, that's just like these little goth kids in school. It's cartoon. Um, these little goth kids in school, like trying to explain how awesome goth music is. And they're like referencing Bella Lugosi's dead as like starting the genre. <laughs> I appreciate the comics so much. It's so cute. <laughs> and educational. Yeah, it, it is quite educational. And I just find that like, it's definitely like reminiscent of a lot of and a lot of stuff I like falls back on movies and that too. And it reminds me of a lot of the like eighties movies. I love like lost boys and stuff. Mm. Um, so it, it has that, it's like that kind of aesthetic and in, in music form. So what was going on in your life around this time? Um, unfortunately my life is considerably basic. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> After college, I just kind of worked. And I mean, like, I've worked a lot. I've had, um, right now I've settled into my 14th and 15th job. <laughs> uh, cause I'm very like, I, I guess I consider myself to be a restless soul. Um, if I don't like where I am, I will leave. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So like, I mean, I've never left myself high and dry. I always find a new job before I quit, but I, I've had many jobs where it's like three months and I'm out four months and I'm out <laughs> just kind of moving around and I absolutely love where I am now. But, um, before that, it was just like that 
decade of my life between college and now is probably just uh, lots of work and some traveling and, you know, just... uh, You mentioned a writing class and then you talked about your writing. I wasn't aware that you wrote. So (laughs) tell me about that. Well, I mean, if a tree falls and no one's around to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, is it something that you just do for your own satisfaction or... or it's like my, uh, you know, have like the the more you know rainbow behind these words. It's my goal. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's like I, like my my fantasy is to write for um, an income. So mm. I do write regularly, and like uh, when I was a kid again, like when I was doing all my public speaking and stuff, like I wrote my own speeches and I wrote a lot of short stories. And the first thing that ever kind of put the idea in my head that you could be acknowledged for your writing was one of my, um, teachers when I was young, she was a great teacher. Uh, she like used to take my short stories that I'd write as a little kid and send them into the newspapers, like hoping she could get it published. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah, it was very nice. And it was totally done like on her own, like, like she just was a nice, uh, <laughs> motivational person. <laughs> she believed in you. Exactly. That's lovely. <laughs> and that kind of put it in my head. So like, that was like, kind of something that stuck with me for forever. And I still absolutely love it. And I did, I just a month ago, I got my very first short story published, which was oh, very fantastic. exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank is it you. available online or is it just in print? Uh, it might be online. Uh, it, I definitely have it in print because this is so like, <laughs> I guess it comes full circle to what we've been talking about. But whereas most of the time I'm writing like horror stuff or sci-fi stuff or whatever, uh, this is a sappy story that I submitted to Chicken Soup for the Soul. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. No, I went on like a submit spree and I was just like, what do I have and what can I give out? And I just like submitted a whole bunch of stuff and it was super exciting because they paid me for it and yeah. they published it. So, and now I can, you know, when I'm sending stuff out, I can be like, well, I got a short story published in March. Like, <laughs> be kind of part of my resume yeah success builds on success yeah and the story Uh, was about like um growing up uh fostering like fostering children in my house so it's like it you know comes full circle to what we were talking about (laughs) yeah absolutely the most success i've had has been with things that are more or less nonfiction about my personal experiences i don't know there's just more of a market for that or do you write fiction though? Like, uh, I used to, it's been a few years. I don't have any good ideas anymore. <laughs> like I, I've never been able to force it, which is one reason why I think being a professional writer isn't for me. Like if I don't have an idea, uh, then I don't have an idea. Right. Whereas I feel people who write like maybe they just have more ideas, but I feel like <laughs> they can just, they sit down and write like it's their job. <laughs> yeah. And, but you know what? Like for me, it's like, I live in a fantasy world. Um, I may have kind of gotten that point across. <laughs> like I'm constantly like somewhere else in my head when I'm working, when I'm doing anything. So it's like, I have so many ideas, but I'm very lazy. <laughs> so mine's the opposite problem. <laughs> I have all these ideas, but I'm like, wow, I'd have to actually like move my fingers and type words. That's that's a lot of work. <laughs> Is there anything else about Bela Lugosi, Stead and Bauhaus and so forth? No, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I said enough about it, but it's like, it's just totally one of those songs that um, encompasses the idea of like telling this interesting story through your art. It's not just like 
it's not about a personal experience, which there's nothing wrong with that, but like, that's mm-hmm. what I'm better at. I'm not good at talking about personal experiences, even though that's what I got published. <laughs> Just like you. <laughs> do you want to move on to your last song? Sure. All right. So what do we have at the end? Um, the final song is a song called Where Owls Know My Name by a band called Rivers of Neil, I believe is how you pronounce the word. <laughs> it's spelled N-I-H-I-L, not not like Neil the guy. No. <laughs> I like the idea that it's Rivers of Neil, like, you know, my next door neighbor, Neil. <laughs> I'm just picturing some guy with like some balding guy with glasses. Definitely. <laughs> this makes me think about the video, which is a delight. <laughs> uh, so people may not realize that on the show notes for every one of these episodes, I have links to if it's on YouTube, I, I link to it. You can watch the video. That's definitely the case here. And I recommend it. <laughs> I spent, so the, I spent the first minute or so being like, what's this guy in the pink coat who's just sort of dancing around in front of a mic but hasn't done anything yet? <laughs> and he's doing the best like dance moves. They're so awkward. <laughs> he's got this big smile on his face. He just seems very pleased with himself. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> who Who is this band? Okay, so my the last song was unquestionably the hardest part it's like you know pick your five favorite movies like you can say four easily enough but number five like come on (laughs) Mm -hmm. and also for most people like if they're telling the story of their life the the most recent stuff is the stuff that you haven't figured out yet because it's so close you don't know exactly (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that's exactly where i was i was thinking can i like what should i put up and i looked at my the tabs on my phone and um i I have like at all times, no less than 35 tabs open. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I looked at the ones that were YouTube. There were three YouTube tabs. This is a true story. (laughs) One of them was from my favorite band. I just saw them last year and it was like the most thrilling experience. Um, uh... Are you forgetting your name? (laughs) Phone fell out and then I just started stumbling. <laughs> okay. My favorite band, the uh, <laughs> gotta go. <laughs> so I guess I'm being so fidgety. Um, <laughs> no, okay. So one of the tabs was from my favorite band, um, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And um, I was like, I can't put Fleetwood Mac because they're like, it's too obvious. I want to give him something he hasn't heard before. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one was, I can't even remember now, but I think it was like, I think it was the Ramones or something. And I'm like, everyone's heard the Ramones. (laughs) But then there was this one. And this is a band that I honestly just started listening to a couple, like a month ago. That that's the thing about like the current song. I was like, if I was asked, like, what's a song right now that you would recommend? I was like, you know what? I might recommend these guys. I'm really enjoying them. I've listened to this album that this song is on many, many times in the last month. So, yeah. So that's where this song came from. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but it's it's very current. Like, this is this is 
this is what you've been vibing with in the last month. Yeah, and I think it just came out last year. So, so, so is this song indicative of the album? Does the rest of the album sound more or less like this? Or it's very similar to this. Yes, it's actually like this is one of their more like um, I'd say melodic songs. Some of their mm-hmm. stuff can be a little bit more like uh, blast beats. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> you know what? Like to hear it, I know what it means, but to describe it, <laughs> I mean, I can kind of. It makes me think of Sega's blast processing in the nineties. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's a very evocative phrase, so I can guess at what it means. Yeah, but it beats that blast me <laughs> exactly. And like I. It's like, because I'm not musically inclined, I'm just kind of Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's stuff that sounds like loud and crunchy. (laughs) (laughs) Does work. I mean, most people don't have a musical education, so you have to use words like that. Yeah, exactly. Like when you go to the doctor and you're just like, I don't know, it's like uh, pinchy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, But yeah, so it's like, I... I, I like the whole album, but this one's definitely one of the ones that's a little more melodic and um, there's some clean singing in it, um, mm-hmm. which is something that I usually don't go for in metal. It, it, in fact, I usually kind of avoid it. I prefer um, straight growls, but I find that he has like a pretty decent voice and it works with, with his style of music or mm-hmm. his, it's a huge band. There's many members. <laughs> yeah. As you see there's in the a video. saxophone in this song. And I don't know. That's it. Is there a saxophone? Like, is he a normal member of the band? Is a saxophone on a bunch of tracks? Yes, it is. <laughs> Amazing. Exactly. So I saw this band described as technical metal, which was not a phrase I heard before, but um, it's, you know, basically what the, what you would guess it means you know like a lot of time signatures a lot of technical complexity and virtuosity and i mean the description made me think like so it's like prog but metal yeah it's like you know it's like that's what you get from like bands like dream theater and stuff yeah um and yeah like i personally think most metal's technical because again it's all like it's all complex instrumentals and stuff it's like when I first heard this song, I was like, okay, yep, I'm vibing with this. And then he starts off clean singing and it's a little calmer and then it just hits and he starts growling and he has this great range in his growl, which is like to people who don't often listen to growling, I'm sure is not extremely noticeable. But when you listen to it a lot, it's like he does highs and really good lows. And like, I think he's pretty understandable. So I really liked his voice in both regards. And then that saxophone kicks in and I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) How does this work so well? (laughs) And, uh, and on top of that, like I actually, I don't want to make any enemies here. My least favorite instrument on the planet is the saxophone. Mm -hmm. There's something about it that in most of the time it, it grinds like my ears. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I don't have anything like, like there's no other reason except that it actually physically, if going back to that physical feeling, like it actually kind of like hurts my eardrums. Yeah. Cilantro tastes like soap to some people, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I love cilantro. <laughs> yeah, God, me too. Just like all the cilantro in the world, but it, it legitimately is gross to some people. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm living with a Chilean, so like cilantro's in everything. <laughs> Lucky. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, like I... I don't know what it is, but in, on certain, I guess it's like certain pitches and the way they use it in this band on all of the tracks, like I am so vibing with it. So I'm like, oh, you're making me like saxophones. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh man. But yeah, so it's like, it's just, it's so fun to discover new bands, but I do find that like, I tend to get super excited when I discover a new band now because it Uh is kind of more rare. So like with this, I I heard that song and I was like, that's it album over and over again, because this is new and exciting. (laughs) Do you still do that thing like that you did with the Lamb of God and and playing Soul Calibur and play (laughs) like listening to it for five hours? Basically, do you run a new song into the ground? Like when you like discover something you're re- really into, does it go on repeat a lot? Capital Y E S. I am one of those people. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to drive my husband, Chris, completely insane by playing this about 30 times over the next couple of days. Like, <laughs> yes, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, because that's exactly me. And it's like I my best friend and I like when we get together, um, we we do that. And it's great because like most people don't. And I'm like, I love that I have someone that like when I go over and we'll watch movies and stuff, sometimes we'll mute whatever movie we're watching, watch it and just listen to a song we like over and over and over (laughs) the whole time. (laughs) So it's been fantastic having this chat with you. Uh, Where can people find you if they want to get in touch or, or hear more or anything like that? Um, well, I'm kind of an enigma, so <laughs> they can, aside from just uh, me giving out my home address and them coming to visit me, <laughs> they can 100% hear my voice more on a part of our Scaritage, which is a part of the Megaphonic.fm podcast channel, uh, along with This Is Your Mixtape. So there's some really good stuff on there. You can talk about music, you can listen about horror. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Or, as as you've just been describing, you can do both at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Just get the visuals from a part of our scaretage. <laughs> <laughs> and and check out the uh, scaretage Twitter too, because when I actually do use it, uh it is me on there. So <laughs> So that's scareitage, right? S-C-A-R-E-I-T-A-G-E? Yes, exactly. No doubt. Yes, nailed it. (laughs) Better than I usually do. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a delight. Many thanks to Sarah for sharing her life and music with us. This Is Your Mixtape is a proud part of the Megaphonic Podcast Network, and now we have a Patreon where you can help support our fleet of fancy little shows and access some extra goodies. Go to patreon.com slash megaphonic, and for as little as $2 a month, you'll be able to hear bonus material from shows like this one. For my shows, they're mostly short conversational digressions that are really fun, but that strayed too far off topic, so I cut them from the main episode. You'll get access to the members-only Slack as well. It's kind of a virtual lounge for smart and interesting people to hang out and chat. And I'll be there too. We also have a store at megaphonic.fm slash store, fittingly enough. So if you like the logos of shows like this one and think they'd look good on a t-shirt or a coffee mug, there you go. For more information about this episode of This Is Your Mixtape, check out the show notes at megaphonic.fm slash mixtape slash 33. A number of great magical significance. My name is Michael Collins, and you can find me on Twitter at Earl King, while the show is on Twitter at This Is Your Mix. You can also email the show at mixtape at megaphonic.fm. I hope you've enjoyed today's mix, and we'll see you next time.